0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. Dave and Jacqueline bring you up close and personal to the innovators, contributors, and creative minds in and around technology today visit our website portal at www.technologyexpresso.com. There, you will find a full list of our broadcasts from all across the technology spectrum, our social media handles, and related content. So sit back with Dave and Jacqueline as they serve up Technology Expresso, fast, hot, and intense.
1: Welcome everybody, this is our lucky episode number 13 of Ask the Analyst and today um, I'm taking Jacqueline's position since she is off working hard Uh, and with me I have a guest host or guest with us, Hans Ekman. How are you doing, Hans?
2: Doing great, thanks Coop, appreciate you having me today.
1: Yeah, awesome. Well, let me get through some uh, some minor admin stuff, and I know a lot of you on the line have listened before, but uh, I want to thank our sponsors for this radio show, b 2 ttrainingcom and obviously Technology Expresso, as you just heard in the promo, and bbpa.org as well. we got some uh, good things we're going to talk about today. Today we're talking about strategy analysis or strategic thinking Um, And kind of what sparked this was Jacqueline and I are doing a a workshop for the BBPA uh, big conference that they're having in Atlanta uh, in the middle of August, August 10th through the 13th. So um, last show, which I couldn't make, Jacqueline and David actually talked about negotiation. That's one of the pieces. Today we're talking about strategic thinking, and then the next show is going to be about analytical thinking. So... um, Hans, you know, we, we brought you on because you're, so for everybody that doesn't know Hans, Hans is a good friend of mine, really great mind, uh, very witty. So I wanted to have Hans on to, to talk about it. But if people don't know who Hans Ekman is, Hans, why don't you just give a brief uh, intro?
2: Thanks, Coop. Well, I currently work for SunTrust Bank, where I'm part of enterprise innovation programs, and we're working to drive cultural changes through a series of delightfully disruptive uh, programs and products. Um, Like many people probably listening on the call, um, I've been a BA or in business architecture my entire life before I knew that there was an official name for the affliction. Um, and I have the honor of uh, presenting on that and other leadership topics in both the uh, United States and Canada. So uh happy to be here as part of the show. I think we're going to have a fun time.
1: Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Hans. Yeah, and I think most, most people here – I've never used the word affliction, but, yeah, I can see how that uh, – it can feel that way. So, So, Hans, oh, before we start, I just want to know, like Hans and I are going to have a great conversation like we always do on – Uh, these radio shows. But uh, we want you guys to call in. We want to get your questions. So we have Javon is running the board in the back. So if you press one, uh, she will see a note that you want to talk to us, ask us a question, maybe chime in and give your thoughts on the topics that we're talking about today. So please, let's make this complete interaction, not just Hans and I, but everybody on the line as well. So Hans, why don't we start off? What are your thoughts um, yeah, you know, we're talking about strategic analysis or strategic thinking. Um, there's the the thoughts around tactical analysis and strategic analysis. What do you think is the difference, and and why is there a difference?
2: Uh, you're f- phenomenal, and I, I I do agree that a lot of business a- uh, um, analysts. I think are trapped into more of a tactical approach, whether it is uh, based on personal focus or based on the direction of other members of the project team, where we're looking at a group that is trying to narrow a scope for a project delivery. And so a lot of the focus is on what is it you're trying to solve for, how are you going to solve for it, what are the impacts, and then especially as you get into the system and data analytics. Um, what exactly has to happen for the for the product or service to be successful? and it's very easy to lose sight beyond the project and remember that a business analyst lives not within a project but lives within a business space or lives with a product or product area and has to be the uh, needs to be the continuity between projects that are affecting that space so when i think of strategic analysis i'm thinking about somebody who is taking more of a uh, t- still focusing on the immediate needs but taking a longer-term look at what needs to be done for that to be successful. Where is that area going? What are some of the future needs? What are the, some of the future opportunities? So this isn't necessarily about setting you know, an enterprise five to 10-year strategy roadmap for the area, but thinking what is the next change going to look like? What are some of the factors? And helping the team look beyond just the project scope and look for the greater value that you could be delivering.
1: No, that's awesome. You, know, you made me think of uh, when the IBA first came out with their body of knowledge, BA Bach, um, everybody was talking about enterprise analysis at the time. Now they've with version three, they've changed it to strategy analysis. But everybody would say, well, I don't do – and, and I used you know, kind of analogy that, that you had. I said, well, I worked for Turner Broadcasting for years. I never sat down with Ted Turner and talked about the five-year strategy for Turner Broadcasting, but the department or the business area that I worked in, we did it all the time. We yes, we had projects and we had to execute on them to to meet the near-term goals and and outcomes they wanted. But at the same time, had to expand out every now and then and say, okay, what's going on? What's the impact? If we do this, what's the long-term impact, short-term, and and started to have those discussions. So you you uh, you mentioned something there that sparked a thought. You said a VA lives within a business area. They don't live within a project. But um, you know as well as I do, uh, we look around organizations, uh, definitely here in the U.S., but around the world, VAs live, they physically live in the IT department. Um, so, how I mean, how, how do people reconcile that thought of, well, I'm in the IT department, but I'm supposed to support a business area? What are your thoughts?
2: Right. Absolutely. So just because, you know, most BAs are in in the IT space, which means you're more likely to be viewed as somebody who lives the life of an application or set of applications that meet that business area. So it's really important to help educate the organization, help push to spend as much time with the end users, uh, with clients, with the business units that those systems support, and try and build – you know, a working group between the two. In Agile, and the reason Agile's been very successful in some organizations is it naturally builds a team that simply gets the the right people together in the same room. Well, even if you're on Waterfall or RUP or whatever your methodology is, you've got to get the people in the room. You've got to make sure that the team understands how important the business input is to your applications, to your projects, and help bridge the gap. And and Coop, I think you've you've been involved with helping develop some some courses that are educating organizations um, on how business analysis needs to play into their overall operations and strategy. Um, is isn't this part of the 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 reason that 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 course has been very successful?
1: Yeah, and that you know it's it's been interesting over. I would even say just in the last year how many of our changed from just being the IT project BA and people that are focusing on that to the broader group like we just did a class for CFOs um and uh that and it was all about business case development for that that piece of it but um we're also doing work around design thinking and how you use design thinking to to help broaden the picture and get the larger groups of people and collaborate and get them in the get people in the room together. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know, when we talk to a lot of people, um, and this is to your point, I think the uh, like how do we get people out of the mindset of just having conversations and getting in the mindset of observing and going watching and seeing how things are happening? Um, do do you notice that a lot of people? Um, are getting people in the room and having conversations or are they going out to the business area to the shop floor, quote unquote,
2: Um, I think the smaller the company, or especially if you're in more of a consulting or professional services uh, firm, you have a better opportunity to actually get out on the floor and work with people and see what's going on. Um, I think the larger the organization and the more dug in certain roles get, the harder that becomes and the more you end up having to fight for it. Um, I'm glad you mentioned design thinking, because I think that, so when we talk about a business analysis you know, there's there's some basic things that everyone does well. And what really starts to set the valuable or the strategic BAs apart from the others is the depth and breadth of their toolkit. And the more tools you can bring into your sessions into the organization, like design thinking, um, like value proposition design, workshops, um, um, user experience or user design sessions – then what you're doing is, is you're helping facilitate the conversation not around what does each button need to do, but really truly understanding what the problems are and the constraints that you're trying to solve, and what are the factors that are going to influence that moving forward. And that's really, I think, where the, where the strategy lies. It's trying to find where the you know, 20% of the work is going to deliver 80% of the value. And how can you position the changes in the work you're doing now for what you're going to need, not one year, two years, but maybe three to five years out? Mm. Yeah. So, how do we so, you
1: know? I mean, this is common, typical. Like, you know, you ask, you know, you and I both speak at conferences, and we've probably both asked this question like, how many people uh, get into a situation where they're someone says here's the solution uh just you guys go ahead and implement it so what What you were you said something that made me think of that scenario and that's a scenario so how do how do people get out of just implementing the solution so they have this vp of sales or vp of something and you work for a bank so everybody's a vp but maybe uh <laughs> <Yep>. executive <laughs> executive vp or something right um that comes and says hey we got to put the solution in place just go do it Um, so how what are some tips techniques uh, ways that you try to roll um, people like that back to to understand what the the whole purpose is why are we even doing this
2: Uh, absolutely and and, uh, I have great compassion for people that are stuck in that situation because if you've got a group that's already decided on the solution it is nearly impossible to get that to change. Um, I've I've seen very few people who are successful because the minute you say, "Hey, I know you picked the solution and you think everything's going to work," let's go back to the very beginning and try and define your needs.
0: <laughs> you get
2: that's immediately going to get you shut down. Um, some uh, a few strategies, and then and Coop, I want to I'd love to hear some of yours because this is one of the great things about you know meeting some of the thought leaders is swapping ideas, seeing what works, what situations yep. things work. So um, a, a few of the things that that I've noticed is if you can you know be publicly encouraging of the solution moving forward, but behind the scenes quickly go and try and talk to some of the end users, talk to some of the SMEs and find the questions that drive what it is they're really trying to accomplish and bring those back to the discussion about the solution, which is, hey, that's great. Um, Help me understand how the solution is going to solve for these stories, for these situations. And what you're looking for is you're trying to find the resistance point, not the resistance to the process because you want to be positive and excited and and showing that you're, you're, you're helping them map the solution to the needs, but you're looking for the resistance points where eventually you'll hit start hitting aha moments where they start saying, Well, wait a minute, what do you mean the system's going to need to do that? or we've got this business constraint. Then you can introduce, well, I talked down to Mary talked to Mary in finance and she said it doesn't matter if the system can complete everything in three days. She has to wait till the fifteenth of the month before she can process anything by their policy. So how do how do how do we enforce that in the system? So then, once you start getting that buy-in, you can start driving some of the conver, conversations back to more of the initial: what is the problem we're trying to solve, and 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 that will head up head up the constraints for the solution. What's one of the tricks you found that works, Coop?
1: Yeah, well, I'm trying. You actually stole my trick. Um... I think we use a similar one. But so I'll, I'll add to what you're saying that you don't want to get people on the defense. And I, I I, have a hard time sometimes when people are like, oh, well, I use the five whys to um, get, you know, get them to roll back. And the problem with the five whys, and if you continue to ask why, it puts people on the defense immediately. Like, oh, why would you want that solution? Why is that going to help? Why is that? And it puts people in that defense mode, cause they're, you're now questioning them that they didn't think of the the problem and they didn't think of what the, what they were trying to accomplish. So, um, you do have to use the words like help me understand. So you never want to be that, um, you know, we've all been around that four or five year old, the way they're trying to learn, they're constantly asking why, and you don't want to be that annoying five year old, but you still have to roll them back. And it's always about help me understand, uh, and embracing what the people come to the table with. I think, you know, maybe in the mid nineties, um, technology wasn't as well known, so the business side, you know, that's why even the, the BA was called the bridge or the translator, because technology people, the technologists were really smart and they knew this new emerging technology, but the business people didn't touch and feel it as much, so they they needed that gap. But today, I mean if you Everybody can look at their phone now. There's so much technology in this little, you know, three-by-five uh, device that we carry around. People know technology. So they, when they have a problem and they think of something, they're automatically thinking, oh, well, what could a technological solution be? Um, and I, I use Facebook all the time, and I have, you know, 15, 20 apps on my phone that I use all the time. We need something like that to help us. Um, so it, it's embracing that, having, being excited. Like, I'm glad you're thinking about the solution. Just get me on the same page. You've been thinking about this for a while. So just get me on the same page, because we're going to have to make decisions along the way uh, about what features, how we prioritize, what we do first, what we do second. And we all want to be on the same page around making good decisions to hit the goals that we're trying to accomplish. In um, that way, so, In that case, I like that you talked about actually using that uh, help me understand piece in the, you know, uh, behind the scenes kind of thing, right? Like going to the actual people that are doing some of the work and then rolling back and saying, hey, here's a scenario. How does this solution help? You know, I'm not connecting the dots yet. But you could also use it right away with that person to say, help me understand. What are you trying to accomplish? If I know that, then I can help the rest of the team kind of focus on that. And if you lose, and I think that's a big part of strategy analysis, right? Just getting to that point where you understand what is the bigger picture here that we're trying to get to and how does this project play into that? Um, and if you have that, then there it removes a lot of the guessing and assumptions. So when you bump up against a feature or someone says, hey, we want to have this thing in our system or part of the project, you could throw it up against those goals what what the outcomes need to be and say how does this help us get to that outcome and if you can't answer that question then maybe it needs to you know come out of the scope or um something else or you could at least figure out the priorities
2: absolutely and you and you hit a a great point um uh, a colleague of ours julian sammy does a presentation um that uh, that's based around the fact that why is the most dangerous question you can ask And and this is a very uncomfortable uh, issue for BAs because you're like, my whole job is to ask why. Yes, but his point is more that (laughs) when you actually use the word why, then what you're doing is – the way we use it in general language is it questions someone's judgment – or right. questions their decisions, and it can be very threatening. So the challenge is to find ways of asking why, and like you said, figuring out, the the, the the strategy is figuring out the why, not the why of now, but the why of what needs to be, and finding different ways of drawing that answer out. Um, and one technique that's uh, featured in uh, the book Switch by Dan and Chip Heath Um, which is all about how to put in very complex organizational changes, it's based on uh, outcomes-based therapy. And the the theory is that if you try and find the root cause, all you're going to find is potentially false correlations between things that happened in the past and trying to blame the past for what's going on today. But a completely different approach that has much greater positive outcomes is to instead Focus in on the future and what an ideal future would be. So an example would be if you were sitting down and you were job shadowing an ops team, trying to figure out, okay, this solution is going to impact. Let me find out. I want to ask them why they do these things, but I, I don't want to use the word why. And then you can right. start by asking them and say, if you came to work on Monday and everything worked flawlessly and suddenly you had the best operations, best processes, best people. Everything was amazing. What are some of the indications? What are some of the things that would tell you that that change has occurred? What are some of the things you observe? And what they're going to do is they're going to start thinking of what that ideal situation will look like and then start a discussion of the patterns or the problems that are keeping them from that ideal situation, which ends up becoming your why. You can also ask, and I think I've written a blog article on this before, is um, what are the three things? If you could fix any three things or get three things out of your way that are wasting your time and energy, what would they be? And by simply getting rid of the three biggest pain points, you can do wonders for improving the value uh, of the solution, uh, bringing about operational changes, and increasing morale because the teams, when those pains go away, will be more productive, and they now know that you're somebody who can get things done.
1: Yeah, I actually think, didn't you put that in, uh, you wrote a section of business analysis for dummies with us. And I think you might have used that. Um, that might have been the part you put in the book. I remember, at least, I remember reading it. You yep. know, what three things can we remove? So, I think
0: awesome. you're no. Yeah, I think you're right. That, that was
1: that, um, another thing you made me think of is uh, Jim Collins. You know, the guy that wrote Good to Great talks. You know, and he's been a pioneer in helping organizations kind of figure out what their vision is and, and how to get there. And one things he talks about when he's talking about, you know, coming up with what your new vision, mission is going to be for your your organization, he has people come up with vivid descriptions. And, you know, I think again, you know, you talked about increasing the your toolbox and having a breadth and depth of of things. This is another one. And I like, you know, you and I had lunch the other day and you you talked about um being having the ability to look at other models um, and apply it or looking at models of different businesses or uh, different strategies and then being able to apply it to different areas. And that's the same thing that I think BAs need to do. They have to look at all these different tools that are out there for different stuff and how do you use it for the, the work that you're doing. So Vivid Descriptions is used for you know, coming up with what does life look like? What does the future look like? What does success look like for your organization? But there's no reason you can't just shorten the scope of that, right, and bring it down, okay, after this project, uh, what is life going to look like? And use those vivid descriptions and get really good examples um, and visualize, right? I mean, things that people can sink their teeth in to say, um, oh, okay. If this is how we're going to act as a team, or if this is the feeling we're going to have, then when you're talking about the specific how-tos and how to design the thing, you can use those for uh, for decision making and deciding should we do this or should we do this thing. So good. I'm glad you know you and I like most things are on on the same page.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and I would say that you know the the time to check and make sure that there's enough air in your spare tire isn't when you're pulling your spare tire out because you've got a flat. So these are the things that you've got to think about and incorporate or start building this library, this inventory during projects, during any available time. And when you talk about you know, the, the original question, which is when someone comes to you with a solution, how do you stop it long enough to make sure that everyone's not making a big mistake? And part of it is you have to have that relationship so that that doesn't happen to begin with. So it's meeting with and building the partnership, building the understanding, building the trust with your stakeholders, with your SMEs, so that before they get to the point of a solution, they're already asking you – about it already engaging you before the project has started so you're in at the ground floor and can help direct that from the beginning but again that's something that you've got to plan for and build out those relationships way early uh, because by the time you need them it's too late to start building them
1: yeah i mean that i mean if there was any one of my hot buttons and i always joke and i'm sure i've done on this show before too is joke about um then I'm always saying it's all about something. You know, it's all about decision-making. It's all about communication. But I think, you know, in the end, it's all about the relationships that you have. Because, right, if you have a good relationship with someone, you can ask why, right? Uh, If you're really close with them and they trust you, um, you, they bring up a solution to you. You can be like, well, why would you do that, right? And it's not going to get them on the defense because they know you're looking out for their best interest and the organization's best interest. Um, so what are, what are some of the things then? What are the ways that you build relationships, and how do you get to a point where um, you have close enough relationships that you can you know, easily, politely challenge the people that you work with to make sure you, everybody's heading in the right direction?
2: Right. The, so the first thing is um, people, you have to be sincere. Um, you have to approach it with uh, trust and integrity. If if you go back on your word or do not follow through, um, it is very hard to rebuild that trust. So, getting to know people as you're uh, so what I would typically do is, is I would find the people that are most receptive, and uh, most people like talking about what they do. They like complaining about the things they have to do to to keep the wheels on the bus and everything in the company working. So getting them to talk isn't always difficult, even if you've just got to say, hey, why don't we just meet for mm-hmm. lunch? Because I'd just love to learn more about what's going on. And what you're listening for is you want to try and find some quick wins. Look for things that, without a full project, without a multi-million dollar budget in two years, that you could get done that could have a real impact. Um, and... Uh, Try and find a way of getting those things done and helping people out. And when you start being, when you start getting the reputation as a problem solver, um, as a trusted ally to a team, you'll end up um, building that trust very quickly. And they, may, and also tell them, you know, hey, that's great. Um, I'll see if I can find something, but that's not something I think I might be able to solve for. So you, you can be honest and say, yeah, I'm just not going to be able to fix that. And that's perfectly okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not your guy. But even if you refer somebody <laughs> – Um, And I'd say, so here, an extreme example, um, I'm very involved with our university relations program um, and interview on a lot of our local college campuses, um, interns for different departments and help screen to get them down to the final selection stage. Um, And I've met some wonderful people here and been in an interview and told them, you should not work for us. You're not right. You're not going to be happy. This isn't it. But... I know some people that are in the space that you'd be interested in. Um, I will make a connection through LinkedIn or through email and let you talk to them and see maybe these are the areas you need to look into. You know, maybe that comes back and has a benefit later, but it benefits the company immediately because I'm not putting people into a position to limited positions that I know from the beginning just aren't going to be a cultural fit or a skill set fit or may not have an interest. And that's both people on the high end and on the low end or just a mismatch of uh, priorities. Not everybody, you know, there may be better groups for someone to be with. So, being honest and trying to find the solution that's right for the people will keep you steered in the right direction always. And, and you found that too, haven't you, Coop? Oh yeah, yeah.
1: And you know, one, before I add to to your points, the one of the things you talked about is like being a problem solver. I think you know I've always felt that business analysis and the, that title um, is is always going to make us. Uh, Struggle to explain what we do, right? Um, and people try to explain what we do by the the tasks that that we have. Uh, but business analysis in organizations, and there was one company we were working with that we won uh, a bid to do some training, and, and I just said, "Well, how many you know people do you have with the business analyst role?" And they said six hundred. Well, it ended up that really the type of work that we do, there was about one hundred and fifty that really do the work. So the title just gets overused. Um, and then you have the word analysis that goes with that. And to me, that's fluffy, right? I mean, it becomes like you don't want a financial analyst to work with you, and they don't want you to go, Hans, hey, you know, we have, uh, you know, I looked at your your savings, and at this point, you know, the analysis shows you're not going to be able to retire till you're 97. Good luck. Have a good day. Um, you want more of a financial advisor, someone that does that analysis but then gives you options to solve that, that problem that you have. Um, and that's, the I think, what VAs need to view themselves as, that they're not analysts. They don't just analyze stuff. They're, they're doing that to solve a problem and to move an organization forward and to help them reach their goals and to help them get to their strategy, whatever that might be. Um, On the relationship side, what I'd like to talk, I use, there's a a little thing I do when I do workshops or um, even in some presentations is I have people group up and find three things in common they have with other people. Um, And the first round, they go really quick and people will be like, oh, we're both men, we're both BAs, and we're both in this class together. You know, like real high-level surface stuff. And I think, too many people, those are the kinds of conversations they're having. And then I have them go to the next level where they're getting deeper and understanding what drives them, what excites them, what are their pains, and try to find things in common. And the reason for that is people like to be around people that they have things in common with. And most of the time, when you have a conversation like that, you'll find that you have a lot of things in common with a lot of people. So um, then you instantly start to build that trust. Like, oh, this person's like me. We have the same things in common or a lot of the things in common. Um, so you to build that trust with them and make them comfortable to have conversations with you. Um, so always going deeper and finding three things in common is going to help. And then the other thing I'd like to talk about is that you have to play the political game. And people, you know, they view politics, especially here in the U.S. with you know our presidential election it's you know, getting worse and worse by the day, it seems like, you know, so people like shy away from politics, but in organizations there's politics too. And you, and where the positive of politics is knowing people that know other people. So you're not going to be, although my goal in life is to to meet everybody in the world. um, I don't know everybody yet. So, but I do have to know people that other people know. So if I have to convince, or if I have to have a conversation with someone that I don't have a good relationship with, I need to know who has a good relationship with that person and use them to, to figure out how should I approach this person or would you mind approaching them um, to see if we can get those questions answered or get some information from them. So you have to be willing and open to, to meet as many people as you want. And you mentioned it earlier when you hit a project, it's too late, you're dead, right? Because um, it's hard enough meeting deadlines and keeping up. Um, with the speed at which people want information now. So if you don't do it ahead of time, and, and the one question I like to ask people in general is how many of you eat lunch at your desk three to four days a week or more? Um, and, you know, it's usually 80 are eating lunch at their desk three or more days a week, and that's a sign to me that they're not getting up and meeting people. Um, and, and I don't mean you have to go out to lunch with everybody every day. It could get expensive, but grab some coffee, just have a conversation with people walking to a meeting, anything, but you have to get in the mode of building relationships and meeting new people. And, you know, so everybody should have that goal. Um, and, And what's interesting, we're talking about strategic analysis or strategic thinking, but this is like, if you want to get to that place, right, you have to have these relationships.
2: Absolutely, and, and that's been one of the keys. So for our, even in our innovation program, one of the first things we developed um, as part of the program was called the Turkey Sandwich Club, and it was simply getting a few people who seemed to be really good at getting things done, meeting up for lunch over turkey sandwiches and you know bring your own food if you are a vegetarian. We don't right. hold grudges, <laughs> and talking about you know, how is it that you get things done when so many people in this or, in an organization can't and that groups expanded you can have subgroups um, one of our uh, a BA actually started a social hour once a month after work just to get people together to share ideas Th- these are real simple things of just starting with a friendly time even just gripe sessions and starting to build those relationships starting to figure out what are people exceptionally good at um, that might you might be able to lean on and making sure that they understand what you're great at so that 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 they can lean on you when you might be able to help.
1: Right. Awesome. Well, Hey, let me take a a quick pause here, at least to, to just make sure that everybody knows. And if you've joined in uh, after we started that we want this to be a complete interaction. So Hans and I are having a great conversation. We hope you're enjoying it, but we also want you guys to chime in. So if you want to add a comment, um, add a point that maybe we haven't made yet or, ask a question of myself or Hans, please press 1 and Javon, who's running the board in the background, will will see your name and, and get you plugged in. So um, again, press 1 if you want to talk to Hans and I. And I want to thank our sponsors again for this radio show, Technology Expresso, B2T Training, and BDPA uh, for sponsoring us here and getting us talking about strategic thinking and strategy analysis. So Hans, I want to a number of ways that people um, can kind of roll back and no matter what kind of project they're working on, um, how to ask questions and, you know, how to ask why without using the, the why word, but how can BAs contribute to strategic value for their organizations when they're not empowered? So, you know, they're, they're some level of BA, or uh, you know, they're not, the ones making decisions on strategy. So how can they help?
2: I'd say, and I don't think, uh, I don't think I could have summed it up any better. And if we had, uh, you know, the entire listening audience and had everybody stand up that feels that they are, that as part of their job, they are not empowered to make those decisions or to set strategy. I was sure almost everybody would stand up and I would be, I would challenge each one of them that they're absolutely wrong. If you are approaching your job as a analyst who says, well, I'm here to ask the right questions and to document what people tell me to, and I'm really good at it, and I'm excellent at bu- building these beautiful diagrams and documents and, and user stories, and that's where my value is, at that point you're acting more as an order taker and as a commodity resource, which means – I, can, I just have to find the cheapest person who can ask questions and write it on paper, and that's what I'm going to look for. Where the, where the strategy and the analysis and the real value comes in is by understanding that you have the ability to influence the solution and the changes that need to happen. So every analyst, whether they realize it or not, is empowered because you are deciding what questions to ask. You are determining how deep of a dive you're going to take and how much analysis and how much work you're going to put in. You're determining how the systems are going to work based on the functionality and the business needs that you define. So the transition is not thinking that you don't have the power, but think about how your portion of the project can influence the thing that needs to happen. Um, I was uh, participating as a BA on an effort, and after working through the initial requirements, I sat down with the stakeholders and said, you realize that the tool and what you're trying to roll out isn't going to work with your current operations group. And so we talked through, and we I, I had the opportunity to lay out a plan that says, look at what the tool does. Look at what this business needs and, and what you're solving for. Now look at the organization and the skill set you have that's doing, that you you think is going to use this tool in the future. Are they going to have the skills, the experience, the seniority to be able to handle this more advanced process? And they finally agreed no. So instead of moving forward with something that would be a disaster, we moved forward and actually helped build out a whole new team, basically almost like a SWAT team, who was going to do the advanced work, and then they could fill uh, fill some of the other work to um, the team that was already in place doing some of the uh, analysis and audit type work. So that's where if you approach – everything you're doing, thinking, I'm here to be an advisor, I'm here to find those things that are going to deliver the most value and help steer the conversation towards making sure that those things get implemented or at least we have the discussions and these things get solved for, then you're performing strategic analysis. You're driving and influencing the decision. And that is where you add value and power and will set your your career Vastly different than the people who are just very good at taking orders.
1: Yeah, I mean that. I mean, you couldn't have said it any better. I mean, you don't. I mean, to me, the the value of analysis or being a BA is what you just outlined, right? If you can, if you, to me, if you kill a project or re-spear it or you know change the direction in a way to make sure because of the impacts that are going on in and around the initiative. One of the, there's an exercise I like to do, um, and we have it in some of our classes around, uh, we have people draw a tree. Um, and, hey, take 30 seconds to, to draw a tree. And everybody draws a tree, and or, you know, 90% of the people draw a tree with the bark and leaves or, or branches and stuff. Um, 10% add a sun, some roots, grass, clouds, you know, the things that are around the tree. And to me, that strategic analysis is not just focusing on your tree, which is the project, and doing a really good job with it. Um, But it's like, okay, if we have this tree, what else has to be in place? A tree can't stand without roots, right? I guess unless you cut it down, it's a Christmas tree and it has a, you know, a base, and people could probably get creative with that. But um, the, the point is, like, thinking about all those impacts and making sure if this is what we were trying to build, can we do it with all the other things that are in and around um, the the project that you're doing? Um, and I, I had a conversation with a guy, this was years ago, um, and and I talked about this concept that the biggest value of analysis is not documenting stuff. Um, it's not being a note taker. It's If you can redirect a project um, that's going in the wrong direction, it's not going to hit the, you know, the goals that the organization is trying to hit, um, then you that's the value of analysis. And he said, well, all my projects are failing projects. They're not hitting strategy. Um, and I said, well, why, you know, if you know they're failing, why aren't you stepping up doing something? And he's like, well, it's a career limiting move, right? These are high, higher up people than me, and if I, they're really excited to get this thing in. Um, and if I tried to stop that, then it's going to be a career-limiting move. But it sounds like you're saying, Hans, that it's not a career-limiting move. It's actually uh, a career-opening move. Is that correct?
2: Absolutely. And if it is a career-limiting move, then you are in an organization or on a team where you have no career because there's no place for you to go. <laughs> if, they, if they aren't concerned and, and want to use you for the value you can deliver, then you're wasting your time and effort. But it is your obligation, and it's it's hard. It's hard to step up and, and take that action, but it's your obligation as well to be an advocate for what needs to be happened. And maybe just, you know, break it down into small win, wins, build the trust. You don't have to kill a multimillion-dollar project, but maybe you can influence the first um, phase of it to focus in on the area of value. And that's kind of where Agile or RUP came in, which is, Find the, find the piece of what you're trying to do. Trying to find the piece of this huge monster effort that will deliver cl- immediate value. And by the time you get to the whole solution, you've eliminated so much waste and noise that you might have done accidentally if you didn't start that way. And so the technique that I really advocate is using um, context diagrams. Um, and helping people understand. Like you said, the trees need sun, light, water, ground. Help your, your stakeholders, help the project team understand the context for where the solution is occurring. Tell stories, bring in end users and have them help tell stories for what's important, where the focus needs to be, and that's going to, that's going to save those failing projects. I think it's you know still even at this day 50% of solutions do not realize the intended business value. If that's the case, you have a perfect example of where people are doing a very good job of documenting what they thought they needed but not challenging and finding what the organization really needed and in what order it needed to happen. And that's that's the strategy, that's the value-based analysis that that I want everybody to become a practitioner of.
1: Yeah. And you, I mean, I love the words you use there, the obligation. I, I, I'm with you. It, it's not good enough um, to to sit there and just be a passenger on the bus and keep moving forward. Right. I mean, the obligation of the people in this role that are doing this type of work is to make sure we are working on is hitting the mark um, and giving you know, I, I like to talk in terms of decisions, and I think it's all about uh, giving people the ability. So back to my point earlier that a lot of people are not, you know, in the position where they're making the decisions about what they we should do and shouldn't do, but you have to be, you are in the position, um, and you add a great deal of value if you help facilitate good decision-making. So that companies are thinking not just of, things they might need, and let's just keep cranking out these projects. we got all these people on our IT staff, so let's just keep rolling rather than stopping and saying, what value are we going to get out of it? So, right. so, I mean, to sum it all up is strategy, strategy analysis is not necessarily a standalone role, right? That, oh, there's, you know, five people in the organization that do strategy analysis. Everybody else is tactical.
2: Absolutely not, and it's it, yeah, so and strategy it, yeah, I think is closely tied to decisions. You know, this has come up and you and, and you mentioned it clearly. Well, I'm not the one who makes that decision. Um, yes, you are. you know, a lot of organizations or people feel that a decision is something done by someone two levels above them, or three levels <laughs> above them. What you do every day, how much effort, how good of a job you choose, what order you do things, how deep you're going to go, what ends up getting documented, these are decisions that you're making – that are having a, the most fundamental impact as to the value and success of the solution, it doesn't matter if an executive sponsor greenlights the whole thing or not. I mean, yes, it is their responsibility to kill bad projects or to only approve projects um, that are moving forward. But it's the team that's making a thousand little decisions every day that may bubble up into a big decision, no-go, this versus that. But it's the team that's phrasing the conditions for that decision that will end up determining what happens. And I've rarely ever seen a decision that couldn't be controlled or the outcome predicted based on, how it was presented, and the work that was done leading to the position uh, leading to the decision um it's kind of like when you when you're if you go to a casino gambling, the casino's not worried about going out of business. The only way they go out of business is if customers stop coming in. They will win over the long run at every single game. The project is the same way over uh, the thousands of different ways your project games play out. The project team is always going to win, even if some things don't go their way. overall, the team is going to create what is the winning solution, so the decision is made on an individual level
1: awesome yeah i you know the I think you know there's a lot of talk in the in our industry and about just enough you know agile has brought up you know years ago started at least really started hammering this question and this point. Um, and people would are struggle with how, well, okay, I get that we have to do just enough analysis, but how do you get there? And I think it's, it's this concept of decisions, right? I mean, you have to make a decision on what you should do. So there is all these decisions going on. Developers are making decisions. Quality assurance analysts are. The stakeholders are. And if you understand the criteria that they need to make a decision, and as a BA, the, the value you're adding is finding that criteria. That's why you go off and elicit information and you throw them in these models to try to understand what's going on. It's to help make decisions. And if you get to a point where you, can, somebody is, you or somebody else has made that decision, then that's just enough. Move on, right? I mean, you don't have to keep analyzing it. A decision is made. Now, you might have to, there's a number of decisions that you have to put through a loop and make sure that you reevaluate that decision and is it the right and do we have to tweak something? But um, once that decision is made, you stop until you're evaluating it again to make sure and that you might need some information. Um,
2: right. And, and you, like, I, I, oh, go ahead. No, go, go ahead, ahead, finish and then I'll jump in.
1: Oh, no, I was thinking like uh, that. Uh, or in organizations, I don't think people view their role enough as the, the money that they're getting paid for a salary is is like real money, right? Uh, and you have to say, okay, if you get paid, you know, X amount of dollars per hour, what are you going to do, right? I mean, what are you going to do with the eight hours you have at work today? And is that adding value to the organization? Um, and I think if people think as entrepreneurs – um, and this, you know, I didn't really get into this mindset, and I'll be honest, until I started working with B2T Training as a small organization. Like everything I do is seen right away, good or bad, right? Um, and I always have to make decisions every day. What should, where should I spend my time? Should I do this or do this? And is that, you know, my, the, the money that I'm being paid, is that adding value to the organization or helping other organizations that we work with? Um, and I think people in this space, and you, my, I think my first blog I ever wrote when I started blogging was about, you know, how would things change if we were paid on uh, commission, all right? So if you were paid on commission for the success of a project, would you stop and ask, okay, what, does, what do the outcomes look like? What are we trying to hit? Wouldn't you, like, say, what, what are – you know, doing that strategic analysis to make sure that if we have to – someone has to define what success looks like so that I get paid. Or i don 't get paid right, um, so I think that you know if you have that mindset, not that i 'm promoting I hope there's no one on uh, from h r on this call now changing the h r structure of how people are paid, um, but I think if you have that mindset that you 're paid on commission, you would stop and think of these things
2: absolutely and and there is, and that is so I, I'd say as people are making the transition from a commodity or order-taking resource to a high ROI value or strategic resource, that could be a really good way of of looking at things. So I would say, think about it this way. If you're making, we'll round it off, 50,000 a year, um, I would expect $200,000 worth of value out of you. That's either $200,000 of savings or net new revenue to the company. Um, Because Mm -hmm. with all the other costs, with everything else, um, I expect every resource to contribute a fourfold, um, uh, a fourfold value back to the company. Um, so, as you're making decisions in a project, that can be a great way of deciding. You know, if is this part of my revenue model? Am I c- contributing effectively? Correct um or am i once again you know kind of wasting a little bit of the company's money because i'm doing work but i'm not doing work that is contributing or adding value to that particular area right yeah no and i, I think
1: everybody if people start to have that attitude that is being a strategic thinker um and again back, back to your point earlier that everybody's empowered to do this you're obligated to do this this should be the mindset that you have, so I want to take a Hans. This has been great, um, and I feel like I can go on for for ever and ever. But we're we got about thirty minutes left, and I just want to take a quick break. We have a, a little promo from one of our sponsors. Javon is going to play that for us, and then we'll get right back into the thick of things.
3: Hello, Tech Expresso listeners. Here are some key events regarding the BDPA 2016 National Conference. BDPA is an international organization with a diverse membership of professionals and students at all levels in the fields of information technology, computer science, and related STEM fields. BDPA's members are changing the world using technology. You can connect at their 38th annual National Conference, Career Technology Expo and Gala, August 10th through the 13th in Atlanta, Georgia. Register today at bdpa.org. Also, this year is the 30th anniversary of the high school computer competition. We want all HSCC alumni to join us in Atlanta. Also, for students, the National BDPA Mobile App Showcase, co-sponsored by McDonald's and State Farm Insurance, allows student application developers the opportunity to participate in a competition allows them an opportunity to test their talents against others and develop a working functional mobile application at no cost to themselves the applications being showcased will represent three different categories business personal productivity and gaming last year there were four winners and the winnings totaled up to twenty thousand dollars go to bdpa.org and look under the programs for students for the instructions for the mobile app showcase. Also, at the conference each year, we recognize individuals in the tech profession and the top companies for blacks in technology. Thanks for listening to Technology Expresso. All
1: right, awesome. I wonder if, am I allowed, I know I'm not a student, but am I allowed to enter to win $20,000? That would be great. Um, yeah, that sounds, and, that sounds you know, like a I lot of fun. Early, yeah, I mentioned earlier, Jacqueline and I are going to be doing a uh, a session um, at the BDPA conference, August 10th through the 13th, so come out and check us out if you're in the Atlanta area or just want to come visit Atlanta. You know, it's hilarious. Hans and I um, live in Atlanta, but we hardly see each other when we're in Atlanta. We usually see each other when we're outside Atlanta.
2: Absolutely. It's... Uh ironic and unfortunate. So there was one thing that you That's started right. to mention before that I'd love to pick back up on. And sure. um, I think it goes hand in hand. And this is where, so um, I will say Agile's wonderful. And um, there there's some great things Agile's trying to do, but um, usually I'm not a very popular person uh, at Agile events or in Agile conferences um, because I'm I've been very skeptical of it. And and where my frustration comes in is exactly tied into where today's session is going, which is – I'd call it Fagile. It's a faux Agile or a fake Agile (laughs) where basically you're trying to say we're going to move fast, but we're going to take requirements and thought out of the process. And so these are the organizations that tend to say, well, we don't have BAs. We don't need BAs. Our product owner knows everything and knows all. I would argue that the type of analysis, the strategic analysis, is needed more in an Agile project because of your velocity than it may be in Waterfall. In Waterfall, you've got a lot of opportunities to find out if you're going off track. In Agile, you are minimizing the risk for each sprint, but you're creating cumulative risk where every step you take, it might be taking you further and further away from your goal, and your ability to recognize it can be very tough. So, you know, keep that in mind. If you're on an agile team, if you're looking to go, your need for strategic analysis is actually greater than anywhere else.
1: Uh, absolutely great. You know, and I think it was two years ago I saw Scott Hambler speak, and he, he's big into doing a lot of different surveys and um, around, you know, projects and how projects are run and what's working and what doesn't. And he said, I forgot the percentage, but it was a, a large percentage um, he was saying that teams are doing a much better job at delivering stuff faster. So getting stuff out the door faster and getting working software uh, into production faster. But were still lagging on getting working software that people cared about or people wanted to use, right? So, So it's not about getting to working software. It's getting to working software that people want that's desirable and um, and that's why that was one of the things that got me into design thinking because that's what it's all about getting that desirability factor but that you know so it doesn't matter and i i i'm with you i think some agile teams uh get into the point where they're just churning and going real fast but they don't have that anchor they don't have the the um the post the light post to say this is where we're heading um, and are we getting closer to that or not? They're just kind of churning every couple of weeks. Um, right. so, yeah, I, I, that I'm, with you. I'm with him.
2: Yeah. And imagine that your GPS took the, took an agile approach, which is, okay, what we're going to do is you every mile, you're going to make a right turn. Every other mile, you're going to make a left turn go, and you're going to get lost, but you're going to get lost very consistently and and that's that's <laughs> what you know our people need you know the the people who are here and looking to find ways of being better you guys are going to be the voice of reason you guys are going to be the ones who are going to bring this back on track and help deliver value and uh, you know I will say you will absolutely be rewarded with it it will set you apart in a market where finding awesome people is always challenging um, and this will definitely set you apart and get recognized for that in this space.
1: Yeah. So there's one thing, um, that, and I don't know, have you met Richard Lannan? He's, a he's at a Winnipeg kind of a strategy guy. Uh, he writes some blogs on BA times, um, as well. And I was this week kind of prepping for this session. I read one of his blogs, um, And he talked about, like, qualities of good strategic thinkers, and I'm summarizing here is basically to good strategic thinkers take a pause. I think the word he used was uh, um, calling a timeout and stopping and thinking and making sure what are we really trying to accomplish or are we headed in the right direction. I mean, do you you agree with that calling out? And and how do you – what's your advice for people to – to taking that time out, um, and how do they get that
2: done? Um, you know, it, it's interesting to hear because it's one of those things that I took for take for granted. And uh, my my mentor and I have hit this on a number of parts of times where we just say, "But doesn't everybody just do that automatically?" And I think this is one of those things that it's easy to take for granted if you do it naturally but it's harder if you've Mm -hmm. got to do it consciously. Everything, almost everything I do, I ask myself that question before I do it. So I've got, you know, if I've got 15 minutes in between meetings, what am I going to do with that time? How am I going to spend it? What's going to get the most value? Is it, I'm just going to do something silly or I'm going to straighten up my desk because I just need a mental break before I go into a challenging meeting? Or am I going to get something done or am I going to start? So if you're on a project or you're meeting with people, that's a question that is that, that starts off everything, which is what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? What's the value I'm getting out of it and what's the value they're getting out of it? And if I can't answer that, then I need to look for something else to do. You've got to answer and have a good understanding of both. Or you just don't do it. You just don't do work to stay busy. And, um, I mean, do you find that? Is it is it something that you do consciously or, or are you also, Coop, because you're highly productive and very thoughtful, do you end up kind of doing that accidentally where you're you're just automatically assessing is there value to what I'm going to spend my next amount of time on? Yeah, I think you're
1: right. I think people that get are in this mode just are doing it naturally and they don't even know and it's hard them to even say, like, people could ask, like, well, how did you think of that? Or when, you know, when did you think of that? And it's like, it almost makes you stop. And, well, when did I do that? And it's kind of like your brain's always moving, right? Um, you're, no matter what you're doing, you're, you're thinking of that way. And I think people have a hard time um, in organizations today. You, you mentioned meetings, and it just made me think of the, um, the chaos that, that we have in organizations today um you know, back-to-back-to-back meetings. Um, and you even, like, half-joked about it before this. Uh, when we were, you know, right before the the show started, you were like, I, I have this radio show, and then i got to go to a panel I'm speaking on, and then I'm flying out. You know, so we're just, what for whatever reason, we're in this mode of, uh, you know, back-to-back stuff, and we don't take time to think. And then it becomes about work, um, and we're just, yes, I was very busy today. But what did you accomplish, and did you do all the things? So you have to pause. I mean, I think – and so if you're not in the mindset of doing it all the time, you have to, like, work time in. So if you're not doing it naturally, then maybe you put a 30-minute block on your calendar every day, and that's your, you know, decompress time or or thinking time so that you can prepare for the, the second half of the day um i wrote a blog that our this role and things that we do is is not a 9 to 5 job and i got killed for it a lot of people like were giving me uh, a hard time and you know kind of calling me out and saying that's the problem with corporate america today they're trying to get you know more more work and more productivity out of people and not pay them anymore but my like the concept was that you can't let your mind just shut off You don't leave work at five o'clock and then stop thinking, right? Um, You have to let things hit the subconscious and let them go. And when they come into the forefront, they come to your conscious. Make sure you have a notepad uh, or something. Like I keep a notepad in my, uh, you know, next to my bed in my nightstand. I I ended up getting the Samsung Note five, even though my kids kind of kill me for going Samsung and not having an iPhone, but I have it because it's got the stylus, and I can write notes, so i like I'm constantly you know things come up now when I'm doing shows like this, I'm totally focused and I get everything cleared away, so we can stay in but it, for a lot of things, right um when I'm at my son's soccer game watching him play, yes, I'm engaged in the game, but if there's a break and I think of something, I jot it down um and you just have to always be in that mode of thinking and find ways to to get it in there. And if you're not doing it naturally, then you got to bake time into your day, uh, into your week, into your month where you're stopping.
2: Absolutely. And I, I can't remember, I, I know I've got it posted in one of my blogs, and it, it, but I can't remember the study right offhand because, like you, I cleared all the distractions away so I could focus on the this uh, podcast. Um, but that when you look at a comparison of how people spend their free time, there is an increasing um, distance between successful people and unsuccessful people in what they do with the free time. People who have very mechanical or easily replaced jobs are spending more and more of their free time on leisure. The people who are highly successful, and they define that based on um, income and lifetime earning, are spending 80% of their free time, non-sleeping, non-eating time, on career or life-enriching activities. So it could be like you're saying where you're thinking through things and jotting notes. It's listening to webinars like this. It's researching or reading books that are career-building or giving you ideas or reading articles or or subscribing to your favorite blogs. So it's making yourself better and it, it it has, I believe, it's close to a tenfold increase. So if you said, what is one thing I could do that would potentially mean over a lifetime I could earn ten times as much money, it would be spending free time in developing yourself, developing your skills uh, as many ways as possible. Um, and it doesn't have to be formal. It can be very easy. One of the techniques that I often um, uh, promote is – basically role playing with yourself when you're on transit when you're driving when you're sitting idle and if you know you're going to have an important meeting an important session a conf- you know maybe a conflict or something related to you know tr- practicing for crucial conversations is going through the questions, going through the challenges. What would I respond? What are they gonna say? And role playing this back and forth. And then you've worked out a lot of the conflict, the details, the changes, your answers, And you're able to direct the conversation and get it to a positive outcome so much better. And this can take a couple minutes. Uh, Sometimes I've spent a half hour or longer stuck in Atlanta traffic just rehearsing, okay, this is going to be a real tough situation. How's it going to go? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? What is the worst thing someone can say? Um, And what are the things that I want to talk about? That really helps you get your mindset and helps – things come across much smooth smoother and more natural.
0: Yeah,
1: no, there's a couple of things in there. So one of our cohorts and all this stuff is Yamo out of Toronto, Canada. Um and he I saw a blog that he posted uh, about six audiobooks that everybody should read. And it was, you know, in that uh self-improvement category, but he started off with here's the average commute for, uh, people in North America. Um, and it was, you know, something like two hours a day that people spend in their car. So he's like, you could, and the average audio book length is eight hours. So, you know, he calculated quickly that you can read, you know, listen to 65 books a year, um, just driving to work. Um, so it's kind of in that same vein of, you know, what people are doing with their, their downtime and promoting that. Um, and then, you know, the other thing you talked about is that preparation time. And that, that goes back to people having back to back meetings. Like you can't be ready for that next meeting. Um, if you're focusing on the last meeting that you're in. Um, so you have to find time to prepare. And I talk a lot about improv using improv skills to, to be better, uh, better um, at thinking on your feet, better presenting, um, and, but improv comes down to you can improvise if you're prepared um, and you feel more comfortable. If you're not prepared, then you start to get nervous and you start to second-guess yourself and you're not sure where things are going to go, so you start getting really nervous. If you do what you're talking about, like think through, what you know. okay, if this ended up perfectly, what would it look like and how would we go through it? What could go wrong? What questions am I going to get asked? Um, and you think of every scenario that you can think of and if you've walked through that in your mind, then when you go into the session, one, you can prepare for that and try to ward it off completely. But if not, then you're like, oh, okay, I anticipated this might happen, and I'm ready to react to it because you thought through it already. Um, so don't think that, you know, improvisers – improvisers are great because they've gotten themselves into so many situations that nothing scares them anymore. Um, and that's, that's how you can relax, improvise, and do what you need to do.
2: Absolutely. Um, I, there, there's quite a few people that I mentor, especially, uh, you know, some of our interns are the people who have, are just starting off their career. And I, I'm always amazed because I – when we're sitting down and they're saying the exact same thing, I'm in meetings, I've got all these things to do. I don't have time to sit down and plan or get this work done. And I always ask them, okay, break out your calendar and show it to me and and walk me through a typical week. And and then I ask them, why haven't you blocked out time on your calendar to do some of these specific things? And they're like, what do you mean? I can do that? I'm like, not only should should you, you have you know the work you do even independent work is just as important or more than you know time in meetings so you've got to block out dedicated undisturbed time to get certain activities done the other thing is is they've you know, studies have shown um, if you put an item on a to-do list you stand a much better chance of accomplishing it if you add it to your calendar and block out the time to actually do it you have an over 80%, it might even be over 90% chance that you will actually complete that task. That's what you need to do when you're treating work is take the task, take the key things you need to do, and don't say I need to do uh, you know, research on competitors. Block out and say during this hour from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Thursday, I'm going to be doing a competitive analysis you can always move the meeting if something comes up. People will ask you and tell you, hey, can you move this? But if you... Don't delete it. You've got to move it to a new time because, like you said, there's a fixed number of hours you have in the work week that you're being paid for. You need to make the most of those so you don't want to end up saying, well, I bumped out the 10 hours of work I needed to do, so now I'm going to have to work overtime or this weekend to get that done. No, you need to budget the time and start saying no to meetings, start saying no to the things that aren't adding value.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, uh, we could – I'm going to make this stretch, but I really think it's it's true. This is being a strategic thinker for your organization, right? Um, and being able to say no, you know, or at least having the conversation with the person that, hey, I have this time planned for X, Y, Z. You want me to get involved in this, which is more important, right? What's going to help us? What's going to help the organization? Am I the right person to be in that meeting? And I don't think enough people – have that conversation or have that thought process around who gets invited to what meetings. They just, like, blanket numbers of people are are on calls every day that don't need to be there. Um, and it, it's not productive. It's it's frustrating for, for more yep. people than not.
2: And if you're having that trouble, um, this is another one of those – There's very little that we do that somebody hasn't solved for or has some great ideas on what needs to happen. Um, There's a a book that I have not read it yet, so full disclosure, but it's on my list, um, called (laughs) Boring Meetings Suck. And it's the whole basis of it is not to have stupid meetings, not to have boring meetings, not to have meetings where things don't get done. So it's how to make them not entertaining where it's like, okay, now we're gonna do paper mache giraffes.
0: Right. <laughs>
2: you know, it's it's not quite that. But how do you how do you make sure that everybody knows from the very beginning of the meeting what has to be accomplished before people leave? and really help structure that so that you can have very exciting and productive meetings. Because it's not that just meetings are bad. It's that they go off in such tangents that people don't feel they accomplished anything of value. So you've got to focus the meetings on the value and the outcome and decide what what needs to be done in a group, what can be done offline.
1: Right. And uh there's another book speaking of that, the the modern meeting standard. Um and the, the tagline below it is read this before your next meeting and it's kind of the same it's how what meetings need to be uh in today. And it was written a few years ago and I've read I've read it once totality and then go back to it every now and then, but um, it's basically about making meetings uh making meetings uh work, you know not just talking about stuff, but actually accomplishing things. So, uh, you know, we, you mentioned tangent. I think we went slightly off uh, on a tangent, but it was a valuable one. But I want to, with the last few minutes left, I want to ask you about, um, you know, people are always talking about their career path and growth and options. Um, I I actually don't like to, to think that there's a career ladder these days, especially in this position. I think you can go, many different areas. It's not like being a BA associate, a junior BA, a senior BA, um, expert BA, and then you're kind of, that's the ladder that you take. Uh, But within strategy um, and doing more of this, so uh, we've talked a lot about how um, as a quote-unquote more of a tactical, you know, someone being on a project all the time, um, how they, they can always, everybody should be doing strategy analysis, but is there a um, a role for strategic analysis are there people out there doing this day in day out or what are some other areas that this work is being done
2: absolutely so there's a there's a difference I think that people miss between what it is you do and do well versus what is your job title and, and you're right we do get focused on job titles career paths within a job family things like that um, and it came to light when there was an article that said that out of all the careers, out of all the backgrounds you could have, which one would promote, which one would prepare you the best for being a successful CEO? And it was business analyst, that the skills mm-hmm. and the way of looking at the world of a biz, uh, for a business analyst most aligned to being able to make decisions and to drive an organization. So, you know, from CEO on down, the the strategy and uh, you basically are taking the same techniques that you would use for finding out what is the value and what does our team need over the next couple of years in a project and extending that over longer time periods and at a higher level as you move into more senior roles or management roles you're now saying, I now have to make that, take, make that same assessment and help drive the same analysis and decisions, but for a group that has to grow, adapt, be able to handle threats and opportunities, be able to handle staffing and operations, be able to work well with other groups and departments... So I think every management position absolutely expands the need for that strategic thinking, the strategic analysis. There are a number of groups, especially as you get into a larger uh, company, that actually are promoting that either as a business architect seems to be one way it's manifesting – but there's also groups that focus in on strategy. They work with different groups and help drive cross-functional strategic decisions, roadmaps, prioritization activities, where they really are, they're not necessarily the ones who are making the decisions, but they're the ones who are controlling what information is being brought into the decision. So they are almost, in effect, driving that decision to based on their recommendations.
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah, no, business architect was one I was definitely going to bring up. Well, Javon just shot me a note that we have uh, Heather that wants to to chime in. I think this is Heather, one of my favorite people in the world. Um, oh, and I just got a note that she just hung up. So took too long to get to Heather. So sorry about that, Heather. Maybe next time. Um, uh, but good, good. yeah, I think, the, you know, you brought something up uh, in the conversation that, You know, being managers, going into the business, doing a lot of people in the BA space are starting, like we talked about in IT, Um, although there are a lot of BAs also on the business side. But, you know, in in the book that we wrote, Business Analysis for Dummies, one of the chapters was about where does analysis happen? And it's happening everywhere. Um, And to your point, like, the best CEOs are people with this analysis background because what are we doing? We're trying to think of okay, what is the strategy? Where are we trying to go? What are best ways to get there? Um, and we have this tool set where we have this toolkit. We have this mindset around thinking of all those impacts. And that's why if you're if you're a BA just starting out and you're, you know, on a project doing um, smaller tasks or beginning level type tasks, you, if you start to have this mindset with everything you do, it's only going to benefit you, um, and attacking it in this way. So Hans, we have a, a few minutes left. Is there something that you wanted to to chat about regarding um, strategic analysis or anything else? You know, as our, our guest here today, I want to make sure you have enough time to pontificate. You have a lot of great, great thoughts, and I want to make sure everybody has the opportunity to hear them.
2: I appreciate it. so there was one uh, one note that I had. I was jotting things down as we were talking that uh, I hadn't come back to yet. and, and this is kind of more a tact, a tactical view of strategic thinking. We often, as we're in meetings, as we're doing work, as we're observing and, and trying to find these solutions, we might mistake and think that you know strategy is something that either happens by someone else, which we talked about, or it's these bright aha moments that suddenly pop up. And really, it's a way of looking at things that happen every day in everything you're doing. And a lot of your routine, if you just think about your day, 80, 90% of what you do is kind of those base core skills, And it's kind of doing some of the same things over and over again, getting predictable results, grinding through the things we need to do. Um, But the thing to remember is, and this is true in projects as well as life, there ends up being a few pivotal moments where all of those little actions suddenly crest and come together and end up changing the direction or solidifying a direction or making a change in people. And it's those pivotal moments that will be the most memorable and the most impactful. Um, I think the fr- the saying is, uh, chance favors the prepared mind. By mm-hmm. looking and acting strategically in everything you do, you are basically preparing yourself preparing for the moment where these pivotal moments happen and be ready for it and help drive it so that the right things happen at the right time with the right people. So you're almost looking for it. It's like you expect the dream job to land in your lap. It's not just going to materialize, but you will recognize it if you have – you know where it is you fit in, what you can do, what you're looking for, if you've prepared, suddenly you'll start recognizing these pivotal moments and can actually take advantage of them. So that was the last thing that I wanted to share.
1: Yeah, no, that's – you know, and I think uh, I often say um, that doing this stuff that we do is – like at the end of the day, you should be tired. Um it's, you know, it, so to me, it's no, uh, no surprise that you know, when people are thinking in this way, it's, it is tiring because you're constantly always have your eyes open. You're looking for these opportunities. You're hearing, trying to listen to everything and figure out and put these pieces or these puzzles together, um, which is the, the life that we live in. And that's kind of what you're hitting on it. Not to say that, um, that's a bad thing. I think it's very rewarding, but it's, if you're, if you have this mindset, if you think this way, then it, it, it's great. But it's also, if you're tired, it's no surprise. At the same time, you get energized because it's exciting and you see these opportunities and can step through that door to, to achieve it. Awesome. Hans, man, I, I mean, I, I've loved, well, you know, I, I love having conversations with you whenever we can. Um, the fact that we're able to do it in a, a radio show format and I'm trying to, you know, if there's any other sponsors out there for our radio show uh, I'm trying to make this a full-time career. I always joke about that. I semi-joke about it. I think the first time I said it I joked about it and then I thought wait a minute. So talking about long-term strategy, right? Um, Wouldn't this be cool if uh, if I could be the, well maybe not the Rush Limbaugh of radio, of business analysis radio or something close. Um, Maybe Howard Stern. Of b a radio <laughs> that would be the <laughs> um, absolutely um uh, so thank you hans um please stay on the line. We got a couple of uh, more notes from our sponsors, but I just want to thank hans and thank technology expresso for for putting on this show and b the t training and b d p a for sponsoring this um these last few episodes. So thank you guys very much, and thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Hans. Thank you, Coop.
4: This episode is sponsored by and features b2ttraining.com. B2T Training has trained and equipped almost 15,000 of the most successful and high-performing practitioners of business analysis since the year 2000. Our courses are developed and taught by the most respected and highest qualified experts in the industry. We know that transforming the way you and your team perform business analysis is not a one-size-fits-all approach, and we understand that your business analysis practice has unique problems and deserves a unique program offering. Using our holistic approach, we will identify the pain points that will result in the best opportunity for your team or organization to realize the change they're trying to achieve. Change begins with knowledge and skills. Our learning events also include ongoing enrichment and reflective activities that provide students the boost they need to sustain their learning and competency. In other words, we make it stick. Get your business analysis training from the most respected and highest qualified source of experts in the industry. Find out more about our public class offerings in various U.S. locations or call to speak with one of our training solution sales associates toll-free at 866 675 2125. Follow us on social media and visit www.b2ttraining.com. That's b the number 2 t training.com and see our full course outlines, blog and free downloadable resources. We get it. We'll help you get it too.
3: Meet Coop and at Requirements Pro August 12th in Atlanta, Georgia. Pre-registration is free. Go to bdpa.org, click on events. You must pre-register by May 31st. Get a micro-certification in negotiation, strategy, and analysis. B2T Training and BDPA are co-hosting this event during the BDPA National Conference. This workshop is open to both conference goers and to the public. This intense bootcamp style workshop is hands-on with real world scenarios. Many organizations are faced with high cost overruns and challenges to deliver anticipated value during project execution. In working with many clients and reading study after study, a root cause almost always points to requirements issues. It could be missing requirements, too many requirements, conflicting requirements, and multiple interpretations of the same requirement. In the end, this struggle commonly relates to how organizations are making and communicating decisions before, during, and after projects. Decisions need to be made with information available at the right time. This hands-on workshop will take an in-depth look at holistic problem-solving techniques and analytical approaches. To designing and delivering solutions to address the problems. This four-part workshop is ideal for executives, business analysts, project managers, developers, QA analysts, and other team members involved in the development, rollout, and and supportive IT solutions. Each of the four sessions are 90 minutes. Take it for your own professional development or bring your team. Again, Pre-registration is free, but it ends May 31st, so go to bdpa.org and look under the Events tab for the August 12th boot camp. As always, thanks for listening to Tech Expresso Radio.
0: You have been listening to Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. For a full list of our podcasts, social media handles, and upcoming shows, Visit our web portal at www.technologyexpresso.com. Join our tech club and get monthly alerts of upcoming events and initiatives. Text the phrase full steam ahead to 41411. Financial support and donations of any denominations are welcome. Your contributions help us sustain and reach undeserved communities who benefit from the many programs, role models, and technologists that we showcase. Thanks to our sponsors, partners, and thank you, our listeners. And remember, we encourage you to listen, learn, leverage, launch.